What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of Slab Talk. I'm your host, Amil Sarfani, and this is my sports card show. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate it. I'm very excited for today's episode because we've got Mark Zablo, the owner of Bleaker Trading, joining us uh, for today's show. I've got an awesome conversation uh, planned for today, uh, but just want to start off by saying, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. And just want to say that intro music got me jazz. I felt like with the video reel, it was back to like, NBA and NBC, I started like chanting in my head. So I know it's really for you, but but I I expect to see uh, some more of that energy in the in the intros as you continue to 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 evolve. Absolutely, I love it. It gets me hyped every time. It's my it's my own little hype music. So coming out of the tunnel. I just need someone to introduce us now the, the, the right way. But anyway, I want to get into the conversation today. And, and the reason I want to get into it is because uh, over the last couple uh, over the last couple of years since I've been in the hobby, I've been really having an, a good time uh, visiting different card shops around the country. I like to travel a little bit. I got friends across the country. And so I tend to travel. And, and, and what I've been doing on my trips is adding in visits to different card shops. And a couple of weeks ago, I was in New York visiting some of my friends and I said, there's this card shop that I just keep hearing so much about and they're doing a lot of cool stuff and very unique stuff. Uh, and I wanted to come visit. So I came over uh, and I, I went to Bleecker and I see it all over the place because of all the kind of marketing that you guys do. You know, Gary V has uh, is wearing Bleecker trading hats. It's a really cool spot. And uh, I came through and I expected to see a, a, a card shop a card shop with product, wax, cards, singles, all of it. And I walked in and there really wasn't much of it. It really was about the event space. And I walked in there uh, during your uh, English Premier League watch party and it was a lot of fun. I got the energy that you guys are trying to convey there, but I thought it was a really cool spot. So Mark, I'd love to just start off with, uh, can you tell me a little bit about how how you started Bleaker and when you started Bleaker? Absolutely. Um, you know, been a been a collector and a hobbyist all my life, not just cards, but all things collectible and memorabilia. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, it was nice to see the rise of what was happening uh, for those type of products. Not again, not just cards, but, you know, all things. And um, being in New York City, uh, we had nowhere to go. Um, and it's, it's funny when you think about that, there's maybe an old card store here and there or a comic book store that may have X and Y. Um, but there's, there's, there's really no clubhouse, um, for cards. And so, you know, by day I run an influencer marketing agency. We do a lot of events. We work with a lot of brands. We work with a lot of celebrities, athletes, um, influencers, et cetera. And the team the coach he kind of looked back at me and was like, well, real estate's kind of dead. Why don't we start a brand, create a pop-up shop? And the idea was if, we can just make enough money to keep the rent going. We got a place to hang out. We got, you know, for lack of a better term, we got our own social club. And, you know, that's kind of where we said, okay, you know, let's do it. And, you know, Allegra and Austin on the team kind of jumped into, into the creative process and creating a brand of something that we felt represented us well, represented the hobby well, but most importantly would add cultural relevance to the hobby. And like very selfishly, Cultural relevance to the hobby adds value to my personal collection. Um, yeah. 
you know, and, and, and quite frankly, you know, I'm sure, you know, you'll get, uh, you know, a lot of people looking at the influencers and what that brings to the hobby um, for the for the good and the bad. You know, I, I think there's a way to do it in a credible way and there's a way to do it in a non-credible way. What we do at Coach in our agency is what we believe always very credible. And so the combined approach of give ourselves a place to hang out, make it somewhere that people from outside the hobby would want to walk into um, and then really make sure you hammer home. I think what's important to a lot of us lifelong hobbyists, you know, the ones that not are, aren't just collecting for quick sell, but like, this is our art. This is our Picasso. We're never letting this go. Um, was really being able to show that to the greater community uh, and really kind of driving that message home. So we kind of go from like, you know, quote unquote, these card nerds or the cardboard kit, you know, th those people do like, wow, like that's something not just smart and, and, um, financially, you know, maybe, maybe a good move, but it's, it's cool and it's, and it's exclusive. So kind of combined all those elements and we're able to open up, you know, uh, our, our pop-up shop that very quickly, you know, was validated as something that was needed as a clubhouse in the city. Yeah. And that's what I've, I've noticed is so unique about what you do. And, you know, last week I had a conversation with uh, uh, Kentucky basketball cars, Jimmy Mahan. He's got a card shop in Lexington, Kentucky, Kentucky. And we were talking yeah, about seen it. it looks incredible. Yeah, it's a cool shop. And, and uh, we were talking about the evolution of card shops and we were talking about how over time card shops are going to go from a place that you just come into just to buy and sell cards and what card shops should be today because there are so many avenues to buy and sell cards now, which is about event spaces. It's about community. It's about giving the, the collectors that walk through your door a space to actually uh, uh, congregate and, and, and socialize and create those connections that you can't do online. That's not able to do in those online chat rooms or on Instagram or whatever it may be, be or wherever it may be. When did you, you started Bleaker from my understanding in October, is that correct? Correct. And since then, have you already seen, you've already had tons of events, right? I mean, you guys have events pretty much every week. Pretty much. What are, yes. you, guys, what are you guys seeing over that period of time in just like 10 months that you guys have been open, it, that evolution of some of those events? Have you started seeing that level of, kind of mainstream are you starting to see that effort of cultural relevance you know seeping into uh what you guys are doing and the hobbies that are coming through your door I, I think you know what we're finding is um there's a at least in new york city we're in the west village we're finding there's a local community that's dying for community i think yeah. the entire hobby is dying for community and i see that in clubhouse when i jump on there at random hours and god knows who's talking about you know <laughs> what. but that that's kind of what we're finding is you know we have a trade night we have one in an hour and we had a pretty you know busy private event with hulu last night and we're tired and it's raining and i i said i told the team i was like we don't have to have trade night tonight and they were like, no, we'll do it indoors. We got all the air conditionings working. We'll set up something outside. And I'm like, but are people going to come? And it's like, hey, if we get 30 people, it's worth it. But then you read the DMs and it's like, hey, I'm driving in from Pennsylvania. And I'm like, Pennsylvania sounds like an eternity from Manhattan, but it's an hour and a half for, for, the, for the person. And he's showing up with his son. And you realize that we don't have anything to sell to your point. You, we, you know, we really took that approach of don't be the Simpsons card shop. That's what I think everyone's mentality is. So if you want to buy stuff, trust me, we're here to make money. I always say it's bleaker trading, not bleaker storage. Um, <laughs> 
you know, that's a, it's a it's a key thing. One of my mentors has kind of pushed on me, but at the end of the day, um, that's not what people want. They don't want to necessarily just go buy something. And the fact of the matter is, card stores historically were the gatekeepers. They were the access to cards. You went to your local card shop. If they had it, you got it. If they didn't, you couldn't get access. Mm. Now the transactions, to your point, they're happening everywhere but the card stores. Most people have never been to a card store that are new to the hobby in the last year or two due to COVID or lack of source. So, yes, we can be a big breaking um, – sorry, I think I called them like um, uh, um, – forget forget my bad association i made a, a bad line about that on my last on the last interview i did but we can do a big you know kind of breaking and wax kind of movement but there's a lot of that um i don't think the hobby needs us to be fulfilling wax i think we do well we bring people together we make them feel proud of what they're doing and the community and the hobby that they're a part of and i think we give a little bit of fomo out to people that aren't part of the, the hobby in the community and start asking what's about that and what, what wants to be a part of that. And I think we're seeing that from the guests that we're getting, or quite frankly, the fact that people are wearing bleaker gear and you don't really see them wearing a lot of panini gear. Um, you know, <laughs> all right, cool. Very cool, nice. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, we're giving people something to be proud of a little bit. Um, and again, maybe that's just my own um, drinking my own Kool-Aid. But, uh, but the amount of hots that you know, we go through, um, the people we see wearing them in different cities at the show, um, you know, we, we think we're, we're, we're achieving that inside the hobby. Yeah. And to your point, I, I think it is, I think what you guys are doing and there is a lot of FOMO, like when I see what you guys are doing and you know, my buddy Shay, who I've gotten to know a little bit over the last couple of weeks is all over Instagram and stuff. And he's always at bleaker and there's clear, there's definitely a FOMO piece of it. And you guys do crush it in that sense. Like I really honestly thought bleaker had been around for years and years and years as because I just saw it a lot of places, and then I saw big influencers talking about it and things like that. And I was like, ah, oh, this place must be like an old institution or something. And sure enough, it's it's not necessarily that, but y'all's vision definitely comes through in a powerful way. So even in a short amount of time, I, I, like I know about you guys and I know what you're doing, and I and 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 your purpose comes through. Now, if we can back up and talk a little bit about your kind of influencer marketing background a little bit, you had mentioned that you run an influencer influencing marketing firm. Can we talk a little bit about that background and how that's obviously helped Bleaker, but how you got into that business? Sure. Um, had been in the, the entertainment marketing world or branded marketing world uh, out of college got very lucky that the early 2000s when I came into the workforce was that explosion of celebrities and commercials and late 2000s were your reality stars and your your Jersey Shore cast members becoming the celebrities at New York City nightclubs versus Leonardo DiCaprio. I remember there was a club Butter and one night instead of Leo and Prince, they had, um, you know, the Jersey Shore cast. And so it's like, I kind of was growing up during that change and involvement of pop culture and seeing celebrities go on the cover of magazines instead of models. But then a decade later, models taking over with their instant followers and then the Jones Smalls of the world becoming, you know, who they are. So being around that environment, I have a true understanding um, and actually shouldn't say a true understanding, but a true appreciation of the level of what influencer can do. Um, I always tell the story walking around the national in 2019 
and seeing what, as you mentioned, Gary V. Um, it's funny, out of every influencer and celebrity we touch, Gary wearing our hat is still the moment people will bring about. And if you go back to that, um, that national, seeing Gary there and watching the dealers come up to him and, and trying to get him to talk about him because there were no other influencers in the hobby really gave me the confidence that everyone sees how cool a Jordan scoring king is. Um, or a one of, or a one of, yeah, don't show it to me. Um, <laughs> only because, only because I have an eight and a nine and no ten, and it's like my, it's just like the card I'll never get. But mine's a um, nine, don't worry about it. All right, cool, cool, cool. So, uh, yeah, scoring king, power in the key, flare hot numbers. Like, if everyone could see how cool that is, that appreciates Michael Jordan, that buys the sneakers, or et cetera, et cetera. Um, we could have kind of, you know, that, that good thing going. So that was kind of my mission in 2019, um, you know, go figure out how to bring that in from the current world I was in. And when you talk about where it helps, um, yes, working with those talent every day um, on a brand side of things, um, you have relationships, you understand, you know, kind of what people are into or what are not into, um, you know, even when Deshaun Watson was looking to break through with Saladin and do what they were doing, there was just nowhere in New York to do it. Um, there was nowhere yeah. in New York to celebrate the hobby. Last night with Ski and with um, his Derek Jeter Hall of Fame card with the Wu-Tang theme combined with Wu-Tang doing their premiere here last night. Um, there's nowhere in New York for Ski to really do that. And what's cool enough to us is we have those relationships with Ski, with Ski and Davey's team to then get to the Hulu folks. But when we get to the Hulu folks, they're not talking, and I say this nicely, to the traditional LCS owner. They're talking mm, right. I understand what Hulu needs to do. To their credit, them and their agency allies showed up last night. They were more than willing to jump through hoops and help us. We understood that. You know, we, we know how to make it work as well for them. So I think, like, when you add that up, um, hospitality. Um, that's kind of the key word. Um, no one really engages with me at Bleecker. Most people don't really meet me or know me when it comes to selling the cards and the products. I don't know the prices. Jacob, Christian, Anthony, now Jess and Ben. Um, that's who they know. And those are the texts that I get that are like, hey, I appreciate Jacob or I appreciate this. And I think when you dial that back, the influencers that we know from Cogent and the world there when they come here to your point feel like they walked into the card store and i think when we bring that element of how we treat people at cogent how we handle customer client service hospitality you bring it here and we was born from that way we can't really teach them to be that suppository um it attracts the influencers combining the branding combining the merch we spend a lot of time and money on our merch. We work with a lot of people to search for the right blanks that we know people are going to say there's a lot of quality that went into this. So I'd love to say there's a secret sauce, but it, it's it's 20 years of being, you know, in, in my – the DNA of went into me, I guess, you know, and hanging out in a card store. Yeah, and, and look, I, I, what you're talking about comes through in everything you guys do, and it comes down like the fact that you're saying it, it comes through in all the all your staff and all your employees that that work at Bleaker as well. Like when I came over there, and I'm 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 basically a nobody, and Jacob, I pulled out the red carpet. It was so much fun, and it was really really great. Like he, the hospitality that you talk about, you know, 
it, it came through even on 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 the low on the on the regular people who walk through your door, right? Like obviously you're incentivized to show that level of hospitality to the Deshaun Watsons, to the DJ skis of the world. But what I do love what you guys are doing, I think is also showing that same level of hospitality to just the regular collector who walks through the door and giving them a level of value that's above and beyond just walking into a local car shop. Like my most frustrating thing is sometimes, and I, there's a car shop here in San Antonio that I've walked into and especially with so many newer collectors, these cart shops and these people who own kind of the gateway to people walking into the, the hobby really have this level of responsibility to welcome people in, to make it feel comfortable because there's a lot of education. There's a lot of nuance to the card hobby and people like yourself and the people who work at these cart shops really do have this level of responsibility of getting people in and making them feel comfortable. And I think that comes through in y'all's vision. And and I think that's a very cool thing you guys are doing. Do you feel like the influencers that you guys are bringing in are getting something extra out of it? And do you think like they seem genuinely excited to be there? It doesn't seem as much as it is like a marketing ploy, of course, they seem genuinely excited to be there. What do you think it, the celebrities it, it, of the world are getting out of all this? You know, it, it is a marketing ploy. Let's be crystal clear. Um, what is, what is Jalen Ramsey getting out of this? And I'm probably talking out of terms of Jalen's team smacks me. It is what it is. But during COVID, Jalen needed a place to go watch a UFC fight. He wanted a place that was comfortable, that was safe, and that he could do what he wanted to do. That environment, we were able to open up Bleaker, sit down, kind of looked like a sports-esque bar, maybe not. Um, and Jacob willing to be here to one two in the morning with, with Jalen and his crew. Um, it kind of opened his eyes a little bit to like, Hey, what is this and what's going on? And it allows someone like Jacob. So when you talk about who's getting the extra, it allows Jacob to sit with someone like Jersey and say, Hey, check out my collection. See this yeah. thing right here for 5,000. And I bought this, this, this is one of a million. mad at me but we had a great collector here and last night again it wasn't a trade night it was just an event for hulu for ski and it's kind of like a thank you to our community where don't bring your car just come eat drink have fun and meet people and this collector we actually called them in and i don't even think he cared but sat down with the rapper mano um who some people think it's a big deal some people don't care about but to me what was amazing was here's a guy with more jewelry on that probably worth more than our house is and this collector shows up and he pulls out these cards and he's showing these very rare um, one of one types and hard to find autograph types. He's telling them what they're worth, but what he acquired them for. And at the end of the conversation, he says, I said, to him, how much would you sell these for? And he goes, I would never sell them for any amount of money. And <laughs> everyone, everyone in the room, just their head exploded. And um, it, it was really cool because there, I don't know how much the collector truly appreciated it. Maybe he was playing it cool. And maybe he went home and you know told his friend, yo, I just showed up Mano. But the whole room was like, wow, that was so cool. And I think what we're finding is, is like even last night, Ski came in, took pictures, hung out. We didn't have any tops cards, so we printed some stuff out for him to sign. Davies from the show, couldn't be more of a gentleman, hanging out, breaking cards, having fun. And, you know, I think the key word to that is accessible. We've made this accessible for the talent. We've made it accessible for a 13-year-old 
little kid. There's a father that wrote us today. Hey, I'd love to bring my son to trade night, but he's a little young. He said six to nine with a lot of these guys is inappropriate, especially after some of the alcohol comes out. But come at five o'clock. Let us yeah. give your son a little bit of an hour. Let him stay till 637 and then, you know, do your thing. So I think that accessibility is huge. And again, I think when you, you know, there's not a hat that Deshaun or anyone else would get that you couldn't get, except if it's sold out fast. So I think we're trying to keep it accessible where, you know, and I think we learned a lot of that from Gary V, you know, you're making sure you're accessible. Yeah. Do you, so obviously you wouldn't be doing this if you didn't see some sort of upside in doing this. What, what is the upside that you're seeing right now? What is your vision with all of this? Where, where are you seeing this goes in terms of combining the, the, the collectors, the people who are getting into the hobby right now with making it more culturally relevant? Where do you see that, that, that confluence of things? Where is the upside? Why do you think that that's such a big part of what you do right now? Well, look, I'm going to go back to I got a personal collection and it's been hard to run a card store and a personal collection, especially with card porn watching everything everybody does. Right. You know, you know, they're going to keep you <laughs> honest. So, you know, for me, what I've looked at it is step aside from the PC world. Um, you got some billionaires getting this thing right. You know, Michael Rubin, Steve Cohn, D1 Capital, Nat Turner. You know, don't sleep on Ken Golden as he keeps doubling and doubling and doubling. Um, you know, what Josh Luber is going to do as a real understanding of what's cool at Fanatics and coming in there. So I look at it as my money's in pickaxe and shovels versus the gold. And that's yeah. hard to give up as a PC. That's why, like, I don't want to ever get that Jordan scoring king, even though it's not the most unaffordable card in what we see in the industry. It keeps me, like, excited at a card show. Um, cause I don't do the buying for the store, Christian, Jacob and team, you know, do that. I don't do the trading. I leave that up to them. It allows me to stay binary and completely unemotional, but I think we all got a role to play. And so whether it's for my PC or for the brand that I'm invested in, which is bleaker, that's my PC, my BC, my PC is that, that logo. Um, I think we all have a part to play. I think you have a part to play. I think the breakers have a part to play good or evil, right? Um, Lameen James and card porn, two completely different types of voices, but a part to play. We all got to do our part. Um, right now, I don't see a lot of people or companies, brands bringing cultural relevance. I think Tops really lit that on fire and made it easy for me to get yeah. Hulu here and, and, and Wu-Tang here because Ski's doing what he's doing. But I don't see everybody doing it. Otherwise, I'd probably take a step back. If there were five other stores in New York that made it fun for me to show up to, I wouldn't do it. Um, I'd rather go hang out and really be a hobbyist. Um, thankfully, yes, in the marketing world, um, that is my core business. That is how I pay my rent um, or mortgage. Um, so I don't really look at this as that. I look at this as a sustainable way to love the hobby. Would I have done this three years ago? No way. Because there wasn't those those other people really driving it. Am I going to be able to drive the culture? No. Does one more person wearing a bleaker hat help? Absolutely. But that's a that's a drop in the bucket, you know. Yeah. So let me ask you because this is something that's on my mind when it comes to influencer marketing and when it comes to you know the upside of all this stuff. I think there's a double edged sword here. There's a good and evil of all this stuff, and there's a good and bad of all this stuff. And we kind of touched on it before we started the episode. the The downside and the upside of of influencer marketing and 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 should it have such such an impact on what we do in the hobby? Can you talk a little bit about your approach to this to make 
the cultural relevance, not so that it's like so pump, you know, like you said, like hard porn's watching. There is that element of like, are these people just pumping up the, the hobby and pumping up cards? How do you toe that line? Where's your approach to this where you're not just trying to do this for a short-term game, but you actually want to do this for a long-term game? And and how do you use influencer marketing to help achieve that and to, t- to toe that to that line? You know, it's a great question, and I'm prepared to answer it because when we started Cogent in 2010 and told people that influencer marketing was going to work and it's cool and helpful and blah, blah, blah and affordable, no one believed us. I thought we were chilling air and, oh, a celebrity is going to tweet or hold our product in a picture or wear our hat and it's going to sell. I thought we are PR agencying and and being fluff. I think the word influencer – is very, very wide. So let's define influencer, right? You can define it as somebody who influences and, you know, you tell two friends, they tell two friends, a recommendation based on trust. Um, some people look at it as the number of following. And, you know, I think that's, that's obviously a very key metric. Um, sometimes I think what we find is people with a large following can come into a, 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 any industry or any, any conversation and and uh, and shift the tides. Um, right. Where we've been successful as an agency at Cogent for you know ten plus years now is we like to play in the credible influencer space. Um, it's not necessarily how big their following is, but how credible they are to the people they're talking to. So yes, I can go get a very big athlete to come on and talk about top shots after the game. But do they really know anything about crypto and investing? Um, we've seen a lot of influencers. Um, and I've heard the kids tell me, hey, how'd you get into cards? A great young kid here the other day. How'd you get in the card? I saw Jake Paul or I saw Logan Paul. Okay. Um, you know, and now what is that kid doing? Well, were you into cards before? No. Why are you in now? I think I can make a lot of money. All right. Good that we're getting money in. Not really great for the hobby, let's call it, in terms of, people that are going to, the second card slowed down and sneakers pick up again, we'll probably lose that kid. Um, so when you think about what I call the Instagram influencers, uh, the people that have millions of followers, but you and I never heard of, um, that are just crossing over into the hobby and taking a thousand bucks to promote a break this and that, um, you know, that's not what I do for a living. It's not what yeah. my, my agency does. So it's not what I know. Um, what we really look at is who are people that are going to have impact. And I think we're Gary. Well, I don't know why this has become the Gary V episode, but why I always think I'm Gary a big fan. Not, good. Then hopefully you'll agree with me that where I don't think Gary got enough credit for his contribution to the hobby. And, and I said this before, it wasn't that he got Aoki or all these big names or billionaires that people are quoting about. It's all the cool, influential, impactful people behind all of the artists and all the managers and all the publicists and all the, all the people in and around New York and L.A. that really have influence. Those people that are credible. When a music artist is talking to his publicist or his manager or his business advisor, that's the credibility that Gary has brought the element to. Not just Logan Paul or, 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 these, or, or the Barstool Sports. And I see what you're saying. Do all those barstool breaks necessarily transition? No. Um, I think Ken does an amazing job, though, finding ways to get those other influences in the hobby, the Mayweathers of the world that bring us, that get us on TMZ, that get us on CNBC. Um, I I don't do that um, because I can't. I wish I could. 
my yeah. eyeballs are more in a niche place. If I can get on complex, to me, that's as big as CNBC or TMZ. If I'm on TMZ, I feel like I did the wrong job for this brand. My clients at Cogent don't pay me to get on TMZ. They pay me to get in an A-list celebrity's house. That's pretty fascinating. So it really is about the, the the specific influencer and their team and what they're trying to do and the actual impact that they're trying to have. And, and, and rather than the number of followers, that's less important to you. Is, is that what I'm hearing? Always, always. Yep. Because, because the best way to influence the purchasing decision is from getting a trusted recommendation from a close friend. So right. I really just need that influencer to hit a hundred people, 5,000 people, or let's call it one to 5%. What do they say? One to 2% engagement is good. So if an influencer can get 5% of his audience, and even if it's a smaller audience, but he's getting 5X what's standard, and those people are going to be passionate and double down. Um, you know, for me, that's just as important. And I think like even back to last night, we could have invited half the music industry half the athlete industry and really made this a celebrity studded Wu-Tang event. We really took the step back and tried to open up at least half the invites to collectors and, you know, really kind of help bridge that gap of, of, of accessibility. But on the flip side, bring Dave East to the hobby in a way where, okay, now they've seen him twice at Bleecker. When you see an event coming back, hopefully with things like that, again, it won't be so rare and so new. So we also don't just try to throw Dave East into hosting tonight's event. You know, he came yeah. by to say hi to Chris Brickley at his event. We opened up a box of Prism. We quickly learned it wasn't the right product for him and his friends. Right? Yeah. They're pulling, they're pulling hyper this and orange that, and they don't even know. And we're jumping over them like, what are you guys doing? Sleeve that. And then we bring out like 92 hoops. And they're pulling Magic Johnson Team USA, and there's 10 Michael Jordan cards and the art and the pictures and People just give me shit because that's my, that's my, like, you know, that's my, where I get really geeked out, but they're sleeping up Kenny Anderson, you know, um, they're I having fun with it. So I think, you know, again, accessibility, understanding kind of what's going to make them credible in the process and not just using them for eyeballs. Um, and then that, that also gets them coming back. You know, I, I think was going to say, are they converting? Of, like, are they becoming collect? Are they starting to really like the hobby themselves? No, I think there's some that of Aoki level, you know, but yeah. I think for any of us to think that that's possible in one year, two years, I think that's crazy. I think what, what we have to do is get them to a place where the hobby's cool, yeah. cool enough to them where they say, Hey, maybe that next time I go buy Dave East had two watch on last night, you know, yeah. one of those watches could have bought any card we were all playing with. So <laughs> I think, I think to slowly get that, I think is a little bit there, but to me, I don't even think it's about getting them to buy or be in it. I think what it does is it gets everyone to step their game up. If you knew Davies and Davies isn't the biggest artist, so forgive me, but if you knew that more of these people were going to be walking around the nationals and events, you may have bigger events. You know, yeah. I keep saying it was a miss that Aoki wasn't DJing after hours at the breaking stage at the national. Um, but yeah. I think you get more of these, but whoever thought that would be possible, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think you bring some more awareness to it and maybe that's a five, 10 year run. Um, we can talk about, you know, the fanatics deal as a transition into maybe that question of yep. does it get them into it? I think this younger generation is coming up through NIL with all these trading card deals. 
and all these autograph deals, and they're so aware of their brand and their social media value. I think when you look at Tops and their ability to do print on demand and where Leaf may come back into play now with NIL and the Pro Set and the Wild Card brands, and then you look at this monster of fanatics, you know, that's about, we don't, we're all going crazy, but we don't know what's going to happen for a couple of years. Um, and no one's seen Josh Luber, uh, you know, talk much. So let's not get excited that we're going to. Um, when you look at that whole equation, what I think is going to happen is you're going to get the PAs giving the players a bigger piece of the pie, which is great. But the agents don't get any money on that PA deal. So if you want to understand a little bit about what the science of what I know of how the, the economies work, if I'm um, XYZ player's agent and now he's getting five more million a year from the licensing the PA, I really don't see that check. But mm. if I can go to another card company, I can go to Tyson Beck. Yeah. Right? You see what he's doing. Or I can go to Bleaker Trading maybe one day. Or I can go to Upper Deck. I can, as an agent, still get a check where I'm not getting that piece. Now, I'm not saying that Panini, I'm sorry, that Fanatics, I keep saying Panini instead of Fanatic, forgive me. But I'm not saying that Fanatics won't pay the players. Um, but again, my inside baseball is different than others. And from the understanding I have, Fanatics is very shrewd and smart in what they pay players. They are not as reckless as the card companies in how they pay. So I think a lot of these agents, especially the middle guys, are going to get very creative to say, my guy, I need to make, I'm not losing money. And I'm not letting my guy be complacent that he got more money in this deal. There's card money out there. We're going to go get it. And yeah. whether that's doing an appearance at Bleaker that we end up, you know, figuring out how to do paid appearances like that, or these shows, I could imagine what we're seeing become more athlete intensive. I think they'll slowly become collectors. I think the hardest part about cards, though, is without a, without a brand like Starstock or PWCC, like, they're not really liquid. Yeah. And I don't think athletes want to have a, a collection like that. I think maybe some grail cards that they put away, but to be day-to-day, -day, what's this worth? I, I don't see that. Yeah, yeah, and that that makes sense. They've they've got they've got to focus on how to actually uh, make their their own money, which is uh, played sports. So you know, and just a little background of the conversation we just we just had, and you touched on right here, fanatics in their deal um, with their with taking over the sports licenses for NBA, MLB, and NFL. The they are partnering with the players union uh, as well in that deal, and so that is what we're talking about here in terms of incentivizing the players to potentially be part of that marketing. Uh, play of of cards with fanatics because now they've got the incentive to because they potentially get a cut out of it since they're actually involved in the production of cards from a financial standpoint instead of previously with panini and stuff they're obviously not getting a cut of that pie how what do you think the upside of that combination of the players getting a cut of that versus or, and, and what do you think the downside the potential downside if there is one do you see in that no, there's there's never a downside of more money going to the players. Um, yeah. Um, the downside I see is, um, I, I guess there's no downside. The downside would be that Fanatics has so much control that the agents are finding lucrative opportunities from other card companies. But that's good for us, right? So right. Um, I don't see a downside to that at all. I do think Fanatics has such a history of 
autograph and memorabilia deals that, you know, as everyone's saying, we'll see maybe better autograph product. Right. And, um, but you got to go back to the bigger problem, which is the players hates anybody does not a player, any human would hate sitting down and signing 200,000 autographs or 25,000 autographs. So, um, I think it's going to force all of them to find a better system. Um, you know, the, the only downside will be is if other people don't come out of the woodwork, if fanatics has that much of a stranglehold, um, we just got to hope they put enough product out to appease everybody, but we got to imagine that's the plan. Like why yeah. do this if you're not going to get targeted and Walmart back online? Yeah. 100%. And we're excited it, about that. Fanatics is known to be friendly uh, to read. Re oh. Hey, sorry. You there? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, my I'm here, phone just didn't cool down. Um, no, Fanatics is known to be friendly to uh, to retailers. Um, and that's so, I think that's know, really important. The positive. Yeah. Um, so I want to back up really quickly because you touched on a topic that I find very interesting earlier in the conversation. I'm a real estate broker and a commercial developer here in San Antonio, so that's my background is actually in the real estate play. And I think what you're what you did in taking over New York real estate here during the pandemic, I'm fascinated to hear like what that was like, because was there a true pullback in demand for New York real estate? Were you able to get an advantageous deal for you guys because of that? And is that part of your, was that part of your equation to start the card shop when you did? Absolutely. Um, New York city real estate is not ever advantageous to people in our position. Um, Luckily, we had a relationship with a landlord. Um, actually, my lawyer and best friend said to me, call my brother-in-law, um, who's a landlord, and he may have some space. Um, landlord had some good space. Actually, in the other side of town, we didn't want to be in, um, mm. which turned out to be the best side of town. It's just funny how things happen. And I'll tell you how quick things work. Um, I, I don't think he listens to these things, which is a good thing. Um, but we... Um, we got a really, really fair deal, if not amazing deal on first space. The first space has a shared backyard with the second space that was empty. And really in the dark time, they kind of said to us, hey, work out a deal for it with us. Um, and uh, we just don't want them even looking empty. So like having Babe Ruth poster in the window was just even a positive mm -hmm. for the neighborhood. And they, they have a ton right. of property around here. Um, but now we actually, there's a bigger space on the corner and we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Like, well, now let's go bigger. We'll own half the block. And um, we had reached out because we, we wanted to see what the options would be. And I don't know if it will or won't be available, but they kind of gave me an understanding of what market rate is when the world's on. And my jaw just hit the floor. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm better opening in Chicago or Miami and flying there every other week then. But you know, we'll see. We're lucky we have good landlords. But yes, we had a quick period where you could do that. I think what's hard for me, I work with a lot of young people that are trying to move back to the city. Even residential rents are back through the roof where before mm. you couldn't give them away. And we got very lucky. We were able to get an apartment upstairs from Bleecker. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's cool to have a team member up there. But um, we couldn't afford it today. We couldn't afford anything today. And we're lucky we got a good lease. God, that is fascinating. What happened to New York real estate? And I've got friends who live in New York. So what they were going through in terms of their negotiations to get better rental prices when they were moving last year during uh, during COVID was 
was was just fascinating from a real estate perspective because that's what I do here in San Antonio and in Texas cities because it's pretty much growing all the time right now. Mm-hmm. We don't there wasn't a ton of like pullback and in New York, you know, New York real estate's the most valuable in the world and the fact that there was that level of pullback, I don't think that's that can be uh, that can't be understated what an opportunity that really was for y'all. So congratulations. I mean, that's huge to get a good deal like that on a potentially 5-10 year lease, I'm sure maybe more like that's awesome you know no look we got a good five years out of it knowing knowing what i know now i should have taken the 10. Um, yeah <laughs> i was hesitant to take the five the landlord talked me into it so um and look i think that's where i feel comfortable in saying hey can i take a second or third space because you don't find and you know real estate especially for new york you don't find a lot of landlords that want to work with you so yeah. you know i have a lot of friends in hospitality restaurants nightclubs um at cogent we do a lot of work in alcohol at, at, with, with constellation and corona so we know the the industry well and all we hear is like if you know if you're going to open up a, a retail space a restaurant anything your relationship with your landlord is just important your relationship with your customers and so um it's not just about location not just about address and not just about this it's also your relationship you know with your landlord and you know funny enough we talk about accessibility and I learned this a lot from Andrew um, at Luca's time. You good? I can't hear you anymore. Nobody leave the show. We're just, uh, I've got a couple of really good questions still. So I still, uh, we've got a little bit more to go. So hopefully Mark. So Mark just dropped off real quick. I'll just fill some time because Mark's going to come back and I want you guys to stay for the rest of this conversation. I'm going to ask a couple more questions uh, about uh, what they're doing. And I, again, I find what Bleaker Trading is doing fairly, you know, very, very fascinating. Uh, and uh, I think that the idea of bringing cards to be culturally relevant um, the way that uh, they are is uh, is really great. So I got Mark back. I got Sorry Mark Sorry about that. A call no, you're good. And it messed my world up. What I was saying was, Andrew at Lucas Tigers and Bronze Podcast, every time I speak to him, he really gives me the the reminder to ask people questions, ask the community questions, and listen to the feedback, and you can stop doing the research. Like, you can stop rocking your brain. And one of the things we did is we added questionnaires to the trade night RSVP. Yeah. Uh, and it's so funny. I'll tell everyone. We ask you to RSVP. So we actually can get the questionnaire so we get your feedback. Um, but you're all more than welcome to come. And there's a lot of women in the hobby that come. And the first thing they said was, all us guys sitting there in a t- tight, hot room drinking, we smell. Um, <laughs> and more women would come if it didn't smell. And, you know, we work at Bleaker all day and it, it's great. But you forget like, yeah, 75, 150 people come in. They're usually walking here from a subway, wearing a big backpack, and it's the summer. And so, like, our next investment went into an, another new air conditioning. Um, nice. That's you know, smart. not where you think you want to be. But, again, going back to your landlords and how you kind of work things and get things going. Um, and then once we got that going, we hosted Women of the Hobby Night. And the funniest thing was when they sent out their invite, they wrote, yes, and the air conditioning works. <laughs> um, so you know again it's just it's it's really kind of taking that approach to to listen to people um and also asking the questions to the people like yourself like andrew etc and saying hey what are you hearing and what's the best way to learn it 
Nice. Well, I, I like that. I think that's always a good avenue and it's a great mindset to have, especially as you're growing and changing as a company, which you guys are. And in that vein, talk, talk me through your, your, your future vision for the shop. Where do you think this is going for the next couple of years? I mean, how do y'all think about this stuff? Oh man, that's a tough one. Um, I usually don't get, I don't usually don't have to get asked that question. Usually when you start a business, people want your five-year plan, but I funded this myself, so I didn't have to answer that. Um, <laughs> Let me get through the net. Let me get through the end of the year and then add, add a couple of years to that. Um, we are opening our second shop. I'm sitting in there right now. It's pretty much open. We have some small tweaks to do. We have two new team members. We are hiring more people um, for what we're hiring capable people to be jacks of all trades, masters of none kind of things. Um, yeah, cool. But we want qualified people that love the hobby, uh, that want to grow with it. Um, and will forgive us for being a startup. Um, I think as if we can get both of these stores into a good place where we have the social club really feeling what you felt when you came in and the, the, the new card store is what we're saying is like the anti Simpson store. I think if we can do that, well, uh, we have one of two directions, um, recreate it in more cities. Uh, you know, could we go to Miami or could we go to LA? Uh, there's a, there's a restaurant tour though, Steve Hansen sold this restaurant company for about a quarter billion dollars and never left New York. He had about 20 restaurants, but he got in a cab and drove around all day. There's, there's that much volume. So, you know, there's that, but then there's the other idea. If you look at Steve and say, can I take it a step further? Um, can I build a museum for the, for the 50,000 and up cards that I would never keep at Bleecker? Um, can I go and support, what can and PWCC um, you know, doing on the elite level and what alt's doing and bring that to the consumer experience level. Cause when you go back to influencer and you go back to what we do well at cogent, it's that experience. Um, yeah. So I think, can I challenge myself to go into luxury, which is in an area that I've actually been an influencer in. I think that would be pretty cool. Um, opening more of these just sounds like a job. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I got some good advice from my friend Eugene who said you can go scale these or you can have a really dope brand in New York and enjoy it and make money and do right by people. So, look, we have five people working here besides me. That's five full time jobs in the hobby. Um, yeah. I'm proud of that at Cogent, the only award I ever was responsible for. And we won a lot of awards, but it was a great place to work in Ad Age and Cranes and those you know, Bloomberg's recognized it for that. So I hope to bring that to the store in the hobby. And I'm sure those people will leave one day and hopefully do something great in the hobby like other people have at Cogent. Our creative on Bleaker Austin just did that. He left us and now he's doing great things in the Nike world. And we can't be more envious of that. So I hope we see that here. But yeah, it's one of two things. It's either go take this scale big and that's probably raising money and things above my brain. Um, or just rock this really hard, maybe take a space next door, go after something bigger, um, and keep contributing to the hobby, putting other people on. I think that's what I like doing. Yeah. Well, I like that. I think it's important to stay flexible the way that you clearly are right now. And just kind of, uh, when you get to a place where you're enjoying it, it's a, it's a good place to be. And then as soon as you stop enjoying it, that's probably not the path you want to go down. So I, I hundred percent respect that. Um, as a collector, now I'll, this is the last question. I'll let you go after this. Collector to collector, what's your PC? I have to ask, and, and I'd love to understand you as a collector a little bit better. 
Very cool. So I kind of got three buckets. Um, I grew up on that 90s Shaq classic draft picks. Like I didn't know that was Ken Golden, but that like changed my life when I realized like colliding world. So Magic all rookie teams, that whole era is like what I when I like really dove back in the hobby besides picking up the grail cards. That's what just like really drew my heart. Um so that really became, you know, kind of PC to me, like that era. Um, I'm an Iverson fanatic. Funny enough, I don't have a lot of cool Iverson cards. So Christian, who works with us at the National, uh, I like the only card I even got at the National because I was working. He bought me an Iverson uh, Prism um, Parallel Silver, sorry, PSA 10, wearing like the favorite shoes that I love. So nice. Iverson be the PC. And you, he doesn't have a lot of like upside Iverson. Um so, you know, that kind of, you know, really like, plays like the two buckets for me. It's like, what's that 90s stuff kind of, you know, what's that Iverson stuff? Um, and then recently I really got into type one photos and uh, I'm really loving that. I feel like if even if that goes down in value, it's art. And like I always say, like, if you're going to be married in this hobby, make your wife happy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you go out of your way to make your wife happy. So for me, I'm lucky because. My wife, while she probably doesn't love it, she appreciates what I do and she thinks it's cool and to an extent. So bringing those things home and seeing her reaction to it, um, you know, I think is is kind of fun as well. So, um, you know, really kind of playing in those spaces. But, you know, look, the Jordan, you know, scoring king, like that falls in that 90s, that subset era. So, you know, really that 90s and, and AI. I love it. That's a... Uh... That's that's a that's a fun collection. I love the AI PC. That's a that's a fun one. I continue to try to get myself into PC or AI as well. I've got a couple of Allen Iverson What's cards your- that I really love. I've got so my my PC is really like my Spurs players. I grew up during the Spurs dynasty, oh. so you know I was like seven in ninety nine. So for me, watching Tim Duncan, Manu, and Tony dominate the league for uh, fifteen years the way they did is absolutely where my heart lies. And so my PC is my Tim Duncan cards and a couple of Manu cards I have. So you that's know, a fun one. Because I got a buddy, Renee, from San Antonio, and he always sends me, like, these these funny jokes on Instagram making fun of cards. He'll send me, like, I got an old New Kids on the Block card. Like, what's that? <laughs> Arthur? I'll send you this. You got to help me find something, like, super valuable and rare in San Antonio that I could buy for him. And be like, there you go, man. See, you know, this stuff is fun. But no, he's a big supporter of it. But I, it'd be fun to find something that I can put in his face. I'll, de- I'll definitely help you with that. I'd love to. Very cool. Very well, cool. Mark, I really appreciate it. Stay on for a second. I'll have the outro end screen and then and then stay on. I'd love to chat with you afterwards, too. But thank you so much for joining, man. I appreciate it. So much fun. Thank you for making this a real conversation and allowing me to talk a little bit about what I'm passionate about. Absolutely. Guys, go follow Bleaker on Instagram at Bleaker Trading. They're awesome. Mark, thank you again for your time. Uh, and thanks everyone for tuning in. Yeah, thank you everyone for listening.